Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Just a quick thing before we begin today's podcast. Are unpleasant symptoms of digestion getting you down? Bloating, abdominal pain, constipation, indigestion, IBS, bowel dysfunction, SIBO, colitis? Well, We are now accepting new applications for our group physiotherapy program. To learn more, go to ecophysio.com forward slash group and submit an application and we will get in contact with you once we receive it to see if it's a good fit for our program. Welcome everybody back to the podcast. So today we are going to be talking about food interstitial cystitis, or also known as painful bladder syndrome. My guest today is Callie. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I like to build some context for people before we kind of dive into the content. Uh, So maybe you could share with us a little bit about you and what got you interested in supporting uh, people who have interstitial cystitis or IC for short. Sure. So my name is Callie Kreitcher. I currently live in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I have lived my entire life with interstitial cystitis or IC as I will here on out refer to. Um, And I really struggled growing up with this condition that I had no idea what was going on and I had all of this burning when I was urinating and I thought it was normal. And so, you know, went through my different life stages. I'm now 26. So I went through high school, college, navigating different things. And in my early twenties, I learned through my own research, not doctors, I learned that I see is definitely what I have. Um, I kind of just went to different doctors and was like, this is what I have. I'm not really looking for a diagnosis. I'm just looking for treatment. So as I went through treatment, I was really looking for a magic fix or, you know, a pill that solves everything. And I feel like that was me just being naive, which is understandable looking back on it because it wasn't properly explained to me. But basically, I didn't realize the impact that diet has on this condition. And it really is one of the first changes somebody with IC should make upon diagnosis. And I'll quickly review what IC is so that anybody who's never heard of it kind of understands. So IC is a bladder condition. It has no known cause and we don't have a cure right now. So it's considered a chronic illness. 
uh, symptoms can range from frequency and urgency uh, with urination. It could be pelvic pain, pressure, pain with sex. And then, like I said, my symptom is burning during and after urination. So it could also be before, or it could just be a constant burn. So those are what the symptoms look like. And the, 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 this country, the United States, sorry, I know you're in Canada, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So the United States does not have great IC specialists and a lot of people get really blown off by different doctors. They get medically gaslit by doctors that just aren't properly trained in this condition. And it's really, really frustrating. And I definitely experienced that going through these things. And I had to go through many invasive procedures. Like they do these installations where they put a catheter in to your urethra and through to the bladder. And that's how they put medication in. So that's just one example. There's another one called a hydrodistension where they put fluid into your bladder as you're not awake and it stretches your bladder and that's supposed to help. So it actually made things worse for me. And, you know, I didn't experience relief until I looked at my diet and started managing my stress. And I ended up going to college for nutrition and I had a long-term goal of specializing in interstitial cystitis. And once I passed my exam and became a registered dietitian, that uh, after about two years, I was doing different things. And then I finally, you know, the pandemic hit and I started my business and I finally took that jump to help people with this condition because I know the power of diet with this. And most people don't know about it and doctors aren't talking about it enough. So that's kind of how I ended up being where I am today. I know that was a lot. (laughs) Well, actually you just answered the second kind of question that I was going to ask, you know, like what, (laughs) you know, what interstitial cystitis is. And I mean, there are a variety of means that they go about here, um, you know, to diagnose where they're typically looking for lesions, a type of lesion on the bladder that would be indicative. Uh, and, and so the issue in our sort of realm on this side with this type of condition is that people still continue to have bladder symptoms coinciding with interstitial cystitis, but don't have the lesions that they are Mm -hmm. looking for on the bladder. So this is why at the beginning I said interstitial cystitis and, or also known as painful bladder syndrome, because it's kind of one of those situations as well, where, you know, somebody can have an x-ray of their spine that shows some changes and have no pain. And other people have the same things and have extreme amounts of pain, right? So, um, so the diagnosis of this condition, um, can be challenging to figure out, well, how do we actually define this and, and what is the, you know, what's the criteria? So it can make the diagnostic journey really, uh, quite challenging. And yeah, if you go hundred percent, 
And if you don't have a diagnosis, then it's like, well, how do we begin to, you know, treat this? And unfortunately, you know, people are left with these symptoms for long periods of time um, that kind of builds this cascade of potentially other issues, a mental health, because it's super stressful, right? To have these conditions and not, or sorry, to have these symptoms and them not being addressed, Mm -hmm. pain can show up because our pelvic floor muscles are going to brace for the discomfort. So there's so many things that, you know, get intertwined that can make this, um, quite a challenging journey. Um, and some of the more lifestyle factors, um, are, are not being, maybe not being presented as options of like, well, in the meantime, while we're trying to figure out all these things, like here's some things you could be looking at and doing. So I think that's, you know, what we're going to sort of talk about here is more of not the medical, like the specific medical diagnosis and the medical um, or the biomedical treatment of it, but more of like, what can you be doing to support your body to, you know, heal and, and, and to feel better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we have what they, I don't know who actually came up with that. I think it's called the AUA might be the American neurological association, but they came up with these six lines of treatments. It starts with the first line being things like the diet modification, just educating yourself on the condition, um, managing your stress, going to pelvic floor physical therapy, So things that aren't very invasive that you could try before you move on to things like supplements or medications or more invasive procedures like the ones I mentioned earlier. And I found through conversations I've had with people in the IC community is that a lot of urologists or urogynecologists are skipping over those we're not emphasizing them enough and they're going straight into invasive procedures, which can take a toll on your mental health and it can cause medical PTSD or just different things like that. Yeah. And, and I know that one of the things, um, at one of the, um, conferences I went to on, um, pain, pelvic, we we had a conference on pelvic pain. And really, you know, I think it's important that there's some of the basic things like education and, and um, really getting a good, solid, comprehensive history uh, can make a really big difference. If you are going toward more invasive treatments, you go in with an un, a level of understanding and, you know, expectation and you sort of know what's sort of happening can have, um, have a higher likelihood of a positive outcome versus if you're stressed, anxious, depressed, not eating well, not supporting your system very well. And then you go into this, um, medical intervention with not very much knowing that can cause a lot of lot of problems mm-hmm. as well. Right. So I think for sure that foundational piece is like education, you know, diet modification, stress management, like being actually quite massive. Yeah. In, in impact. Even just saying like mental health is such a big piece of this puzzle and maybe recommending the patient seek out a therapist or something, you know, of that sort is a good place to start. 
And the other thing I wanted to touch on was if doctors are talking about diet, it really isn't to the extent that it should be talked about. So a lot of people are just being handed this IC diet list and they're not getting any type of education. They're kind of just being told, avoid these foods and they're sent on their way to kind of figure it out on their own. And that is creating so much food fear in people. People are, are terrified of eating and they're eating the same 10 foods that are bladder safe based on that list. And it really is becoming a problem for a lot of people. Yeah, it, because it can be uh, restrictive. Now, the IC list that I'm aware of, and, and so just from a context perspective, um, I, I, I have seen the compre- there's a comprehensive IC list, uh, I think through one of the IC associations, I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, but it was a document that said, here are some bladder safe foods here is kind of like they did like red light, green light, yellow light, where it's Mm -hmm. like, these are for sure. What we know, do not bother the bladder. Here are some foods that are the yellow where it's like, you're going to need to monitor yay or nay for yourself. And then there's like the red list. Like we know hundred percent that in most cases, these are not great. Is this the same list that you are referring to? Because there may be different IC lists. So there's two different types. So the first one was the one that you were mentioning. It's a three column list. There's another one that's a two column list that is most bothersome foods and then least bothersome foods. But I want to back up because these lists were created after a study was done back in 2007. It was done at the Long, or sorry, Long Island University in New York, and researchers sent out a questionnaire with a whole list of foods, beverages, supplements, and they sent it out to like over 300 people. And they ended up getting about 100, I think the number was 104 surveys back. So these people, you know, filled out this survey saying, you know, these foods bother my bladder the most and these don't bother me at all. So they had like this very scientific survey. And so I like to point that out because that's really the only, the only study we're going off of. And, you know, it's not their fault because diet in IC is such a difficult thing to isolate in a scientific study. But it's important to remember that when you're looking at the IC diet, what we are going off of is what a hundred people said bothered them. And, you know, that could be they were more motivated to return their survey because they they do have diet sensitivity. Maybe people who aren't diet sensitive weren't motivated to fill this long survey out and give it back or Maybe it's what people perceive to bother bother their bladder. So there's a whole lot of things that, you know, if you look at that study, you can kind of pick it apart. But the thing I like to say is the good part about that study was that we have a guideline of these foods that you can use for an elimination diet to guide that. It gives you a great starting point. I think that's the, the good conclusion to draw from that. Yeah. And there seems to be certainly some really, 
like there are certain things that seem to be quite common across most of the individuals that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that I think uh, certainly can be useful for, like you said, taking the, um, you know, maybe the top five things that you can see that you consume a lot of that are on that red zone. And then, you know, seeing if you eliminated that, you know, what would, what would happen? So it, it gives you a start point. Yeah. Right. Right. The things like coffee, alcohol, um, chocolate, tomato sauce, citrus, things like that are very common triggers, but the, the most common misconception is that everybody with IC is sensitive to everything on that list. And that's just not true. A hundred people. And I love this, uh, statistic, what hundred percent of people that I work with identify at least one food or beverage that they can have on that list that says that it might bother them. If that makes sense. You might know that. I was like, wait, I was like, I I was following and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And then when you asked that, I was like, wait, what, what did you just say? Okay. So we have this three column thing. We have the the green, which is bladder safe. Yellow was try it. Red is caution. So that caution list, which is things like the alcohol, coffee, you know, all those things. 100% of my clients that I work with identify at least one item on that most bothersome list that they can eat or they can consume. consume. Right. So yes. Does that make more sense? Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Basically. And, and I would, I would agree with that, that when I go through that particular list, I, I will have clients that say I can have coffee one cup and does not disturb me or, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I eat tomato based products all the time and that doesn't seem to change things one way or another. So yes, I, I, I hear what you're saying that somebody, every person might identify one thing off that red list that is not a problem for them. Mm -hmm. And it's usually more than one thing, but you know, that's, that's the conclusion that I've drawn over the past year of working with people with IC and the only way to identify these dietary triggers is to do an elimination diet. Can you tell us what that is? <laughs> yes, I can. Um, so there's a couple different elimination diet um, techniques, I guess you could call it. But the one that I recommend people do is it gets broken down into three phases. So we have a baseline phase, an elimination phase, and a testing phase. So baseline, you're just tracking everything you're doing for about a week without making any changes to your diet. The second phase lasts about two to four weeks, depending on you know different circumstances. But that's where you would follow that bladder-friendly column of the IC diet. And after that, that's when you would start testing foods, beverages, or supplements one at a time. Um, each testing period lasts anywhere from three to four days and they start at a very small amount and they make their way up to a regular size portion and they observe how their body basically responds to that item. And then they take a couple of days off and then they move on to the next thing. So it takes I tell people expect it to take about three months 
um, ex- you, you're going to need to do a lot of tracking. So writing down what you're eating, what your symptoms are. Um, it takes a lot of dedication, but it's, it's the gold standard for identifying everybody's unique dietary triggers. Yes, I, I certainly, uh, cause I was thinking, you know, if you eliminate, so if you eliminate it all and then add it all back in, how you're are never you going to know what's the problem, which one sort of is a trigger and isn't a trigger. So mm-hmm. if I'm understanding correctly, you're tracking for a period of time, what you're eating mm-hmm. in the elimination phase, you're eliminating all of the things that would be in the red list. Right. And, and the yellow. And the yellow. Okay. So you're going complete green, green light, mm-hmm. bladder friendly for a, a period of time, kind of almost yeah. like to like cleanse the palate. Yes. It gives say. your bladder time to rest and recover. And then after that, it, most people do f- experience a level of relief during that phase. If they are diet sensitive, which I like to say, not everybody is. And, you know, some people might think they're doing the elimination phase correctly, but they might not be. It's very easy to, to miss something in your diet. So that's another thing to look out for. And that's why I recommend doing an elimination diet under the supervision of a registered dietitian, if you have the means. (laughs) So can you give me an example of what what might look like a full elimination diet, but isn't like, what are some of the common things you sort of see where it does not, it's not quite. I can give my own personal example. So back when I was doing mine in college, um, I eliminated coffee, but ended up replacing it with black tea. And I feel like an idiot for thinking that, but you know, I didn't know that that's also a potential trigger. And I also started drinking the LaCroix sparkling water. And that also is a huge trigger for me personally. And I learned that the hard way. So it's like, it's very easy to not realize you're consuming a potential trigger. It could even be like an ingredient in something that you're eating and, and maybe you're missing that on the label. So it, it could happen fairly easily. Yeah. On, I I certainly on my, um, very basic, you know, list is like even artificial flavors, artificial colors, artificial sweeteners Mm -hmm. and probably sugar. (laughs) Yeah. I personally think that sugar in excess bothers my bladder, but there isn't like a there isn't any research supporting that yet. So maybe we'll get there. Mm. Yeah. And so what you're saying is depending, I mean, if you're eating a broccoli, you can be pretty certain that you're eating broccoli, <laughs> yeah. but if yeah. you're consuming, let's say prepared, um, pre-prepared foods, then you have to be careful to look mm-hmm. at, at the labels because yeah. Or if you go out to eat, you never know what they're throwing in there that they don't tell you. So that's also where people feel a sense of food fear and anxiety surrounding eating outside of their home and what they can control. Mm-hmm. Okay. So elimination diet to summarize is first track to see what you're eating 
to go completely green, green list for two to four weeks, basically to allow whatever, to just remove all possible irritants. So your bladder has actually, your system has time to heal if there's, if there is a lesion or some kind of irritation of the lining, the body has time to work on that, but also just reducing inflammatory load Mm -hmm. in the blood. Um, And then the third phase is like reintroducing one thing at a time that you pre, you know, that you enjoy and would like to eat and would mm-hmm. like to know, can I actually have this yes. or, or not? Yeah. And if they are successful with that item, they have to pull it back out so that when they test the next thing, we don't have too many variables in the equation just in case. So I, I always recommend holding off on adding those things back in until they're done testing completely. If they are not successful with an item. And another thing is everybody's body is very different. Um, if, if it's sensitive to something. So for example, my body reacts the next morning, I'll, I'll have symptoms, but I have somebody in my program that it takes three days for their body to kind of register that. And so I, I tell people it could be anywhere from 30 minutes to three days. And that's why um, we have that three to four day testing period. And we also start increasing the amount it's to see, can you have something in a small amount? And if so, can you have it in a regular size portion so that you don't have to avoid that thing altogether, you know, your body's limits and, and that helps to break out of that food fear mentality and give somebody confidence back with eating. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'll often hear from people like my diet is so restricted because they sort of stay in that green. Um, They get stuck in the elimination phase is how I like to say it. And they don't, they either don't know that they can test things or add them back or they're terrified to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then that probably needs a little bit of work on that part as well. Right. Right. Fear. Right. Right. And I always tell people, you know, if, if this is becoming a bigger issue, reach out to a mental health professional. I have experienced a lot of people with histories of eating disorders that get triggered even more by this, or people who have no history of that, that just kind of develop disordered eating habits. Mm-hmm. And that's completely understandable, you know, with what they've been given and, it, it can be a lot. And that's why having a community of people who understand what you're going through is really important because it's easy to feel isolated with this condition. Yeah, exactly. And, and we need other people to help support us when it's challenging, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because, well, we're humans and we're designed to be social and connected. And, you know, connection helps. It it doesn't always make, it doesn't make the problem go away, but it makes you feel less alone going through it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about, cause I, you know, I automatically am like three months. That's hard. It sounds like a lot, but it goes by (laughs) pretty quick. Um, I feel like it's just, once you get past that number, Yeah. Then it's totally fine. Like once you're into that testing phase, you're good. It's just like, 
wrapping your head around it. Um, it, it could take less than that. It could take more time than that. It all depends on how many things you want to test and how your body reacts to each thing. So if you're reacting to everything, you might, you know, end up doing this for a lot longer. And, you know, I, I always tell people like that, if they're not successful with an item, circle back to it and try it with something like pre-leaf that can kind of neutralize any acid. A lot of people find that pre-leaf is really helpful. And I know it's a little difficult to get pre-leaf into Canada. I, I feel like Amazon offers it, but um, that's a good tool to use if you know you're sensitive to something and maybe you're going to go have a drink with your friends and that can help you have maybe one drink, like it, it can help you feel more normal in social situations. So it's great that we have like something that can help get you through those times. Yeah. I'm curious about, so you were mentioning about getting stuck. Um, and I'm curious about, you know, where sort of people get stuck and how, well, where people most commonly get stuck and maybe um, offering like a strategy that you might use um, for overcoming that particular barrier. Do you mean getting stuck in the elimination phase? Yeah. Or getting stuck in like doing an elimination diet. Yeah. So I guess first thing is like one of the big obstacles is that people just don't understand how to do an elimination diet. So I actually wrote a blog post recently that I can send you the link for, um, that details everything I just told you, um, just in one blog post. So just kind of educating them on the recommended method for it can be helpful. The second thing, if somebody is concerned about doing it and their concern being, not doing it right or risking nutrient deficiencies, I would recommend seeking a registered dietitian to help guide you through that. The only thing with that is that a lot of dietitians don't know about IC and it's not their fault. We are not taught this in school, but they should be able to help you conduct an elimination diet. They should have that knowledge to do that. So that would be another thing you could even, you know, ask your doctor, they have some nutrition knowledge, but most of them don't have a whole lot. So, um, that would be another thing for people stuck in the elimination phase. So that would be people who are only eating the items on the bladder friendly list of the IC diet. Um, like I said before, a lot of people are afraid to test things. And for people like that, I tell them, like, just think about where you want your life to be in three to six months time. Like, do you want to still be where you are? Or do you want to know more about your body's triggers and, you know, maybe be able to go have a drink with friends or, you know, feel more normal? I guess the conclusion there would be, where do you want to be in three to six months time? So that usually helps. And then for people who don't know that they should be testing foods. So there's this big misconception that 
you should eat this way for the rest of your life. And the thing to remember is if you eat a very restricted diet like that, you risk nutrient deficiencies. You're not meant to follow the IC diet the rest of your life. It's meant to guide an elimination diet. And that's like, I feel like a broken record. Um, just like on my social media, going on different podcasts, like I say that so many times, but it, people need to hear it in order to understand it and make those changes and start testing those things. And, you know, if you're afraid of reacting to something or throwing your body into a flare, just think of it as if your body reacts to something, it's telling you or it's giving you feedback to help you either not do that again or, you know, help you figure out a way to um, manage that. So it could teach you a lot about your body and how to manage flares um, and just having that end goal is really helpful for your mental health. And, and that usually gives people pretty good amount of motivation to just dive into that. The other kind of part that I, I mean, my personal, you know, my professional bias comes in, uh, in here. So I, I will state that first. Uh, but I was thinking, you know, when you are working on the reintroduction phase and there's a fear of a flare, you know, working with practitioners, like certainly pelvic floor physical therapy, one of them, there could be other practitioners as well, like including your physician as well to develop like a flare up plan, right? Like, yes. what are the strategies you could put in place that should you have a flare makes it manageable to make your way through that, right? So pain management strategies, whether that be a medication-based, um, you know, physiotherapy-based, uh, psychotherapy-based, there are so many things that are available that can, may not, you know, make the symptoms go away, but make them much more manageable so that you are able to proceed forward with attempting the testing phase to begin to expand your, you know, expand your living, you expand your life. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah. You need a team behind you and they could even work together. If, if you ask them to, I'm sure they, they could always reach out to each other if, if need be, but it helps you to know that you're not doing this alone and you have those as needed meds, you have physical therapy if you need it. Um, yeah, you have those things in place and it's important to use them. Absolutely. So I want to talk about the road to remission, um, which is sort of your process on how you are supporting uh, your clientele base to do what they need to do. So yeah. Can you tell us more about that. Absolutely. So I, a year ago, when I started this business, was thinking to myself, what, how do I create a program that I wished I had when I was going through it, like the worst of my symptoms? And 
I ended up creating this program, Road to Remission. The goal, obviously, being remission, but that's not realistic for everyone. So I always like to say, you know, if we can't get you to remission, we can at least get you confidence. We can get you, um, we can get your symptoms managed. So um, I always like to preface it with that. Um, But the program combines that elimination diet. It combines an education course. So it is literally everything you would need to know about IC, you know, treatment methods, um, different uh, like root causes, different theories on that. So I have classes that are pre-recorded and everything on that, but I also have classes on nutrition, teaching you about the macronutrients, vitamins, potential supplements that people might want to try, um, teach about digestion. I have guest lectures on things like, uh, mindset, sex and relationships, hormones, uh, pelvic floor PT. So it's just such an all-encompassing course of everything you would need to know to be your own advocate. I think that's a really important thing or skill for us to have. Um, So we have that. And then the third part of the program is a private support group. So it's only people in the Road to Remission program. It's currently all females, but it's open to males. Um, And we get on two group calls each week, face-to-face, so like a Zoom-type setting, And they can ask me questions. They can just talk to other people across the world that are dealing with the same condition. Um, And we have a lot of fun on it. And we we just really support each other. It's very positive. Sometimes the Facebook support groups can get a little um, (laughs) gloomy and worst case scenario type feel. Um, So I always like to tell people like this support group is like the complete opposite of that. It's very uplifting, very supportive. So those are the three elements that I feel are the most important to in combination, give you the best chance at reaching remission. Okay. So there's like a pre-recorded section. There is a support group um, and there's the, uh, elimination diet piece Correct. to that. Now, is that a guided thing or is that also like in a pre-recorded or it's all pre-recorded okay. to make everything so much easier for everybody. It can be done at your own pace on your own time. Um, wh- wherever you are, it's really great. Amazing. Okay. And who, who are the people that get the most out of the program? Like who, who are the people that are going to benefit the most um, you know, entering, you know, this, this program, yeah. like, who's the program for? I'm so glad you asked that. Okay. So the program can be for anybody with IC, but the people who would benefit the most would be somebody recently diagnosed, not really, you know, understanding their treatment options, the not understanding their dietary triggers, or anyone looking for support from other people, the people who do the best in the program are people who are super dedicated. They are 
they show up for themselves every day. They do the tracking. They do what I tell them to do. Um, they're, they're coachable, as you could say. And also people who are open to that support group type setting and show up to the calls each week. I think those are the people that get the most out of the program. Yeah. And I mean, that could be really said for, for anything lifestyle related, right? If you want to mm. be fit, you need to, Completely. Yeah. you need to do the work, right? You have to show up and, and you have to, um, and I think there, you know, certainly there's that value, right? That self-value, that self-worth piece, um, you know, that needs to be in place. And, and if it's not there, uh, mm -hmm. that's, you know, like that's part of, the picture. And in that case, you know, seeking out the right support to work on getting the mindset in the right place to be able to then dedicate yourself because you, you are worth feeling better. Right. So, um, absolutely. And not everybody is ready for those types of changes. So it's not for everybody. It's, it's really for somebody who's just ready to take that plunge and ready to make big changes to get where they want to be, to get back to the life that they want to live, whatever that looks like. And, you know, I have a lot of people who at the end of the program, they're, they're allowed to come back to the group calls when the three months is over. But I have people who are feeling so much better. They are confident to go out to eat. Like they, they just have that confidence that they didn't have before. And I don't hear from them again. And that is the best case scenario. And, you know, even for the people who come back, like they even just are there to share their knowledge and talk to other people. That's awesome too. So it's, it's really cool. To build that hope and, and, and to let people know, like there's th this possibility that maybe you're not quite seeing for yourself right now, like it is possible. Mm -hmm. Right. And then being able to, um, you know, have that support to, right. you know, to stay in the game, right. To stay yeah. in, in the process. Yeah. And, and that long-term goal looks different for everybody. Like people will tell me that their goal is remission. And I'm like, is that really real realistic? Like the other thing is re remission is defined differently by every single person remission to me person who's lived their entire life with IC would be like six months with no symptoms at all. But to another person, it might be a couple weeks of very minimal symptoms. So it really just depends. And people always ask me like, how did you reach remission? And I'm like, I'm not in remission based on my definition. So it's, it's an interesting conversation to have with people. Yeah. Yeah. Managing, uh, managing expectations as well. And under, you know, yeah, it's a very important discussion. It's an ongoing discussion, right? It's yes, an ongoing it process, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, you mentioned, well, you, when we chatted a while back, you're like, I have a podcast that's coming out. And I believe that it is now actually an official thing. So why yes. don't we chat about that? <laughs> yes. And you and I had briefly talked like over a month ago. And that's when I was starting to you know, get the nitty gritty details down, but the podcast is officially launched. It is called ICU. So I C Y O U and it's available on Spotify and Apple podcasts. And it is a podcast that is going to be a platform for 
people with IC to share their stories. So I'm going to have a lot of people with IC on. Um, It's going to be me talking about my experiences, my nutrition knowledge. And it's also going to be a place where I'm going to interview different IC experts or people who might have knowledge that will help people with this chronic illness. So it's going to be a variety of different things, but it's, it's really getting a lot of good feedback so far. And that makes me like super excited for things to come in 2022. That's amazing. And don't worry, peoples, we will, we will mention that in the show notes, uh, so that you can access that information. But I do want to ask, you know, if people are interested in learning more, uh, finding you following, you know, what you're doing, uh, where do they go? Yes. So I'm doing a lot of things right now. So (laughs) first the the thing I'm most on is Instagram. So my Instagram handle is Callie K nutrition. So it's C A L L I E K nutrition. Um, I do a lot of informational posts on there. It is more diet focused, but I do a lot of like reels where I, I, I make fun of like different things in the chronic illness community. So I have a lot of good laughs with those. I am also on Facebook. I am a moderator of the interstitial cystitis nutrition support group. So that would be a more nutrition focused support group. Um, if I'm also, uh, starting on TikTok, by the way, so that will hopefully come in the next few weeks. And if they are interested in the road to remission program, they can send me a DM on Instagram. They can go to my website, caliknutrition.com. And there's a link on there to set up a free discovery call. Uh, Basically, it's a 45 minute call where we would just chat about their journey so far and see if they would be a good fit for the program. So no strings attached, completely free. And I also have a blog on my website that they can you know, read about a bunch of different topics. So that's a lot. I know. But yeah, well, you know, that's where you can find me. That's that's how we need to show up in the world is like, you know, if we want to get the message out and we need to feel like we're everywhere. Yes, we are everywhere. I am even on LinkedIn. (laughs) There you go. There you go. And, and don't worry, friends, we will put all the links in the show notes to the socials and to the website. And and you mentioned a blog post that you wrote on the elimination diet, kind of uh, describing that. So we'll make sure that we get those details to everybody in the show notes. You're not missing out on anything. Do not worry. FOMO will be not a thing here. (laughs) Um, I want to thank you very much for, you know, coming on to the podcast, sharing your, um, you know, your story, your journey and, and sharing how you're trying to make an impact so people can live a better life. And that's what we're doing. And I really believe that to get more awareness to this condition, more of us need to start talking about it. It's such a taboo topic. Nobody wants to talk about their bladder or their pelvic floor or anything like that. Um, so really it, it's going to take a lot of maybe uncomfortable conversations, but we need to get that awareness there in order to get more research and more education in the community, whether that be 
the doctors. Um, I'm trying to educate physical therapists on nutrition for IC, like different things like that, but also educating family members or different loved ones and um, just helping people navigate those types of conversations. Um, It all starts with just telling them about it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's well, it all starts with like the knowledge base, right. And, and mm-hmm. the using our, our, our voice. So thank you for using your voice to, you know, have this really important conversation. And I, you know, I'm really grateful for your time today, as I'm sure our listeners are as well. And of course, I do want to encourage our listeners uh, to also be subscribing because, you know, every week we're having a conversation with different people about different things related to living a better life. So you want to, if you don't want to miss out on key important uh, topics, feel free to subscribe any moment and uh, we'll connect with everybody uh, on the next podcast. So take care and bye for now. Thank you for listening to living a better life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again until the next episode. Bye for now.